The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar The lady immediately recovered her wits, and her first act was to lament the loss of her jewels. I gave her an imploring look. She understood and quickly removed the gag that stifled me. She wished to untie the cords that bound me, but I prevented her. No, no, the police must see everything exactly as it stands. I want them to see what the rascal did to us. Suppose I pull the alarm bell. Too late. You should have done that when he made the attack on me. But he would have killed me. Ah, monsieur, didn't I tell you he was on this train? I recognized him from his portrait, and now he has gone off with my jewels. Don't worry, the police will catch him. Catch Arsène Lupin, never. That depends on you, madame. Listen, when we arrive at Rouen, be at the door and call. Make a noise. The police and the railway employees will come. Tell what you have seen, the assault made on me, and the flight of Arsène Lupin. Give a description of him. Soft hat, umbrella, yours, gray overcoat, yours, said she. What? Mine? Not at all. It was his. I didn't have any. It seems to me he didn't have one when he came in. Yes, yes, unless the coat was one that someone had forgotten and left in the track. At all events, he had it when he went away, and that is the essential point. A gray overcoat, remember? Ah, I forgot. You must tell your name, first thing you do. Your husband's official position will stimulate the zeal of the police. We arrived at the station. I gave her some further instructions in a rather imperious tone. Tell them my name, Guillaume Berlat. If necessary, say that you know me. That will save time. We must expedite the preliminary investigation. The important thing is the pursuit of Arsène Lupin. Your jewels, remember. Let there be no mistake, Guillaume Berlat, a friend of your husband. I understand, Guillaume Berlat. She was already calling and gesticulating. As soon as the train stopped, several men entered the compartment. The critical moment had come. Panting for breath, the lady exclaimed, Arsène Lupin, he attacked us. He stole my jewels. I am Madame Renault. My husband is director of the penitentiary service. Here is my brother, Georges Ardell, director of the Crédit Rouenne. You must know. She embraced a young man who had just joined us and whom the commissary saluted. Then she continued, weeping. Yes, Arsène Lupin, while Monsieur was sleeping, he seized him by the throat. M Monsieur Berla, a friend of my husband. The commissary asked, but where is Arsène Lupin? He leaped through the train when passing through the tunnel. Are you sure that it was he? Am I sure? I recognized him perfectly. Besides, he was seen at the Saint-Lazare station. He wore a soft hat. No, a hard felt like that, said the commissary, pointing to my hat. He had a soft hat, I'm sure, repeated Madame Renault, and a grey overcoat. Yes, that is right, replied the commissary. The telegram says that he wore a grey overcoat with a black velvet collar. Exactly, a black velvet collar, exclaimed Madame Renault triumphantly. I breathed freely. Ah, the excellent friend I had in that little woman. The police agents had now released me. I bit my lips until they ran blood. Stooping over with my handkerchief over my mouth, an attitude quite natural in a person who has remained for a long time in an uncomfortable position and whose mouth shows the bloody marks of the gag, I addressed the commissary in a weak voice. Monsieur, it was Arsène Lupin. There is no doubt about that. If we make haste, he can be caught yet. I think I may be of some service to you. The railway car in which the crime occurred was detached from the train to serve as a mute witness at the official investigation. 
The train continued on its way to Le Havre. We were then conducted to the stationmaster's office through a crowd of curious spectators. Then I had a sudden access of doubt and discretion. Under some pretext or other, I must gain my automobile and escape. To remain there was dangerous. Something might happen. For instance, a telegram from Paris, and I would be lost. Yes, but what about my thief? Abandoned to my own resources, in an unfamiliar country, I could not hope to catch him. Ah, I must make the attempt, I said to myself. It may be a difficult game, but an amusing one, and the stake is well worth the trouble. And when the commissary asked us to repeat the story of the robbery, I exclaimed, Monsieur, really, Arsène Lupin is getting the start of us. My automobile is waiting in the courtyard. If you will be so kind as to use it, we can try... The commissary smiled and replied, The idea is a good one, so good, indeed, that it is already being carried out. Two of my men have set out on bicycles. They have been gone for some time. Where did they go? To the entrance of the tunnel. There they will gather evidence, secure witnesses, and follow the track of Arsène Lupin. I could not refrain from shrugging my shoulders as I replied, Your men will not secure any evidence or any witnesses. Really? Arsène Lupin will not allow anyone to see him emerge from the tunnel. He will take the first road to Rouen, where we will arrest him. He will not go to Rouen. Then he will remain in the vicinity, where his capture will be even more certain. He will not remain in the vicinity. Oh, and where will he hide? I looked at my watch and said, At the present moment, Arsène Lupin is prowling around the station at Darnetal. At 10.50, that is, in 22 minutes from now, he will take the train that goes from Rouen to Amiens. Do you think so? How do you know it? Oh, it is quite simple. While we were in the car, Arsène Lupin consulted my railway guide. Why did he do it? Was there, not far from the spot where he disappeared, another line of railway, a station upon that line, and a train stopping at that station? On consulting my railway guide, I found such to be the case. Really, monsieur, said the commissary. That is a marvelous deduction. I congratulate you on your skill. I was now convinced that I had made a mistake in displaying so much cleverness. The commissary regarded me with astonishment, and I thought a slight suspicion entered his official mind. Oh, scarcely that, for the photographs distributed by the police department were too imperfect. They presented an Arsène Lupin so different from the one he had before him that he could not possibly recognize me by it. But, all the same, he was troubled, confused, and ill at ease. Mon Dieu, nothing stimulates the comprehension so much as the loss of a pocketbook and the desire to recover it. And it seems to me that if you will give me two of your men, we may be able... Oh, I beg of you, Monsieur le Commissaire, cried Madame Renaud. Listen to Monsieur Berla. The intervention of my excellent friend was decisive. Pronounced by her, the wife of an influential official, the name of Berla became really my own and gave me an identity that no mere suspicion could affect. The commissary arose and said, Believe me, Monsieur Berla, I shall be delighted to see you succeed. I am as much interested as you are in the arrest of Arsène Lupin. He accompanied me to the automobile and introduced two of his men, Honoré Massol and Gaston Delivet, who were assigned to assist me. My chauffeur cranked up the car, and I took my place at the wheel. A few seconds later, we left the station. I was saved. Bah! I must confess that in rolling over the boulevards that surrounded the old Norman city, 
in my swift 35-horsepower Moro Lepton, I experienced a deep feeling of pride, and the motor responded sympathetically to my desires. At right and left, the trees flew past us with startling rapidity, and I, free, out of danger, had simply to arrange my little personal affairs with the two honest representatives of the Rouen police who were sitting behind me. Arsène Lupin was going in search of Arsène Lupin. Modest guards of social order, Gaston Delevé and Honoré Massol, how valuable was your assistance? What would I have done without you? Without you, many times at the crossroads I might have taken the wrong route. Without you, Arsène Lupin would have made a mistake, and the other would have escaped. But the end was not yet. Far from it. I had yet to capture the thief and recover the stolen papers. Under no circumstances must my two acolytes be permitted to see those papers, much less to seize them. That was a point that might give me some difficulty. We arrived at Darnatal three minutes after the departure of the train. True, I had the consolation of learning that a man wearing a grey overcoat with a black velvet collar had taken the train at the station. He had bought a second-class ticket for Amiens. Certainly, my debut as detective was a promising one. Delevey said to me, The train's express, and the next stop is montérolier bouchy in nineteen minutes. If we do not reach there before Arsène Lupin, he can proceed to Amiens or change for the train going to Clare and from that point reach Dieppe or Paris. How far to Montérolier? Twenty-three kilometers. Twenty-three kilometers in nineteen minutes? We will be there ahead of him. We were off again. Never had my faithful Moro Repton responded to my impatience with such ardor and regularity. It participated in my anxiety. It endorsed my determination. It comprehended my animosity against that rascally Arsène Lupin, the knave, the traitor. Turn to the right, cried Delevey, then to the left. We fairly flew, scarcely touching the ground. The milestones looked like little timid beasts that vanished at our approach. The milestones looked like little timid beasts that vanished at our approach. Suddenly, at a turn of the road, we saw a vortex of smoke. It was the Northern Express. For a kilometer it was a struggle, side by side, but an unequal struggle in which the issue was certain. We won the race by twenty lengths. In three seconds we were on the platform, standing before the second-class carriages. The doors were opened, and some passengers alighted, but not my thief. We made a search through the compartments. No sign of Arsène Lupin. Sapristi, I cried. He must have recognized me in the automobile as we were racing side by side, and he leapt from the train. Ah, there he is now, crossing the track. I started in pursuit of the man, followed by my two acolytes, or rather followed by one of them, for the other, Massol, proved himself to be a runner of exceptional speed and endurance. In a few moments, he made an appreciable gain upon the fugitive. The man noticed it, leapt over a hedge, scampered across a meadow, and entered a thick grove. When we reached this grove, Massol was waiting for us. He went no farther, for fear of losing us. Quite right, my dear friend, I said. After such a run, our victim must be out of wind. We will catch him now. I examined the surroundings with the idea of proceeding alone in the arrest of the fugitive in order to recover my papers, concerning which the authorities would doubtless ask many disagreeable questions. Then I returned to my companions and said, It is all quite easy. You, Massol, take your place at the left. You, Delevey, at the right. From there, you can observe the entire posterior line of the bush, and he cannot escape without you seeing him except by that ravine, and I shall watch it. If he does not come out voluntarily, I will enter and drive him out toward one or the other of you. You have simply to wait. 
Ah, I forgot. In case I need you, a pistol shot. Massal and Delavay walked away to their respective posts. As soon as they had disappeared, I entered the grove with the greatest precaution so as to be neither seen nor heard. I encountered dense thickets through which narrow paths had been cut, but the overhanging boughs compelled me to adopt a stooping posture. One of these paths led to a clearing in which I found footsteps upon the wet grass. I followed them. They led me to the foot of a mound which was surmounted by a deserted, dilapidated hovel. He must be there, I said to myself. It is a well-chosen retreat. I crept cautiously to the side of the building. A slight noise informed me that he was there, and then, through an opening, I saw him. His back was turned toward me. In two bounds, I was upon him. He tried to fire a revolver that he held in his hand, but he had no time. I threw him to the ground in such a manner that his arms were beneath him, twisted and helpless, whilst I had him down with my knee on his breast. Listen, my boy, I whispered in his ear. I am Arsene Lupin. You are to deliver over to me, immediately and gracefully, my pocketbook and the lady's jewels, and, in return therefore, I will save you from the police and enroll you amongst my friends. One word, yes or no. Yes, he murmured. Very good. Your escape this morning was well planned. I congratulate you. I arose. He fumbled in his pocket, drew out a large knife, and tried to strike me with it. Imbecile! I exclaimed. With one hand I parried the attack, with the other I gave him a sharp blow on the carotid artery. He fell, stunned. In my pocketbook I recovered my papers and banknotes. Out of curiosity I took his. Upon an envelope addressed to him I read his name, Pierre Enfray. It startled me. Pierre Enfray, the assassin of the Rue La Fontaine at Auteuil. Pierre Enfray, he who had cut the throats of Madame Delbois and her two daughters. I leaned over him. Yes. Those were the features which, in the compartment, had evoked in me the memory of a face I could not then recall. But time was passing. I placed in an envelope two banknotes of one hundred francs each, with a card bearing these words, Arsène Lupin to his worthy colleagues Honoré Massol and Gaston Delivet as a slight token of his gratitude. I placed it in a prominent spot in the room where they would be sure to find it. Beside it, I placed Madame Renault's handbag. Why could I not return it to the lady who had befriended me? I must confess that I had taken from it everything that possessed any interest or value, leaving there only a shell comb, a stick of rouge d'orin for the lips, and an empty purse. But, you know, business is business. And then, really, her husband is engaged in such a dishonorable vocation. The man was becoming conscious. What was I to do? I was unable to save or condemn him. So I took his revolver and fired a shot in the air. My two acolytes will come and attend to his case, I said to myself, as I hastened away by the road through the ravine. Twenty minutes later, I was seated in my automobile. At four o'clock, I telegraphed to my friends at Rouen that an unexpected event would prevent me from making my promised visit. Between ourselves, considering what my friends must now know, my visit is postponed indefinitely. A cruel disillusion for them. At six o'clock I was in Paris. The evening newspapers informed me that Pierre Enfray had been captured at last. Next day, let us not despise the advantages of judicious advertising, the Echo de France published this sensational item. Yesterday, near Bouchy, after numerous exciting incidents, Arsène Lupin effected the arrest of Pierre Enfray. 
The assassin of the Rue Lafontaine had robbed Madame Renault, wife of the director in the penitentiary service, in a railway carriage on the Paris-Le Havre line. Arsène Lupin restored to Madame Renault the handbag that contained her jewels and gave a generous recompense to the two detectives who had assisted him in making that dramatic arrest. <laughs> 